Uh, Elaine and I really missed all of you. If you're part of the Aspen Grove Church family, we had a great time in the Philippines. Y'all may know that Elaine was born in Manila, um, and her mother has been um, part of our church along with Alfonso, who's now with the Lord. It was great to be uh, walking in the shoes of my wife to see where she was born. We uh, worshiped with a couple of Filipino churches. It was awesome just to see that across the globe, people are doing exactly what we're doing, and they're focusing on Jesus Christ. Heard some great things when we were gone. I heard that uh, Donna put on a wonderful tea party. Raise your hand if you're one of the ladies that had a chance to go to that. That is awesome. Um, Heard some good stories. Also just heard some beautiful stories about how we really loved on a lot of our widows and widowers. When someone loses their loved one and they're with Jesus, the church leans forward like you all did, and you love those. And I want to say to any of you here that is a widow or widower, you are not alone. This is your family. Let's go to our Father now as we pray for his help as we listen to this, uh, this sermon. Lord, I thank you so much for this church family. I thank you that a pastor, we don't even know his name, preached a sermon 2,000 years ago to Jewish Christians who were going through some tough stuff. Would you, Father, send your Holy Spirit right now in a unique way? Help all of us, as Daryl said earlier, who are so easily distracted to look closely at the beauty of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that by looking at Jesus, we would walk away today changed. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I wonder, as I think about all of you, I wonder what catches your attention. For me, it's usually two categories. It's work. I'm always looking at my phone at notifications. Or it's wonder. It's a cool story. It's a cool thing on YouTube. It's a cool thing on Netflix. It's a cool thing in creation. Wow, did I see some cool things in the Philippines. But for you, what catches your attention? Take a look here uh, at this picture. Here we are in the Philippines. We're going up to these, one of these gorgeous islands, but we had to take our boat and make sure it didn't drift away. By the way, this is why the book of Hebrews was written. Christians just like you started to follow Jesus But when the going got tough, they started to drift away. And I was fascinated that when we went up, here's Tudong. He is on this boat here in the Philippines. His main job was to drop anchor and make sure we didn't drift away. So I said, Elaine, you got to get a picture of this. Because this is exactly what we're doing with our church family back home. This anchor that has to go in and make sure we don't drift away. Did you notice a couple of weeks ago in the book of Hebrews... The preacher says, don't drift away from hearing what you heard about Jesus. Isn't it crazy how quickly we can hear something? One ear, in one ear, and out the other. This sermon, which is what this is, the book of Hebrews, is written so we don't drift away. And, you know, the big E on the eye chart that the preacher doesn't want you to miss today is this verse. Let me read it to you. Verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, and in the Greek it's the sisters too, 
who share in a heavenly calling, circle this in your Bibles because this is the big E on the eye chart. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. This is the first time that the preacher gets personal. Notice he says, holy brothers and sisters. Now, when Daryl and I preach, we can give you data, but that's not really what a sermon is. A sermon is to real people like you going through real problems and really exciting things. And I love how this preacher says, holy brothers and sisters. If you're going to help a group who wants to drift away from Jesus, re-engage Jesus, consider Jesus, you want to start with their identity. Our identity, who we are, is supposed to inspire us before we have to get into the initiatives of what it's like to live as a Christian. I love how he does this. This is Typical, good pastor, identity comes before the initiatives. And he reminds them that you have a calling. You ever thought about that as a Christian? You have a heavenly calling. If you know what your calling is, you'll know what to do when the going gets tough. My, I'm named after a naval captain. And if you ever heard this about the calling of a captain of a ship... The captain goes down with the ship. If the ship starts to sink, everybody's freaking out, jumping overboard. The captain knows that the call of the leader is to stay on that ship to get everybody off, even if he goes down. Holy brothers and sisters, you have a heavenly calling. Notice how he's getting their attention. It's personal. And by the way, have you ever thought about that about yourself? You're not just brothers and sisters. You are holy. You're different. Remember, chapter 2 said that Jesus is your brother who is right now the reigning king. When I look at Jared and Amy, I know you don't see yourselves this way, but you have crowns on. You are regal. You're my brother and sister, but you're not just my bro and my sis. You are the brother and sister of King Jesus, Sandra, who just spoke. Did anybody kind of drift off when she was talking? How could you? She's a queen. Holy brothers and sisters, family of the king, different. This is why we do a contrast theme each week. You're different. I know the world is going to be focusing in a thousand places and we live in this world, but holy brothers and sisters, we are to Focus and consider Jesus Christ. I love the purpose. It's a heavenly calling. This was used of Peter. Peter and his fishermen. Same word is used. See, if you were with Peter, he'd say, here's our mission. We got to catch fish and sell it at the market. So if you're hanging out and you have a share or you belong to Peter's fishing crew, your goal is going to inform the fact that you get up in the morning and you have a purpose. You might say it this way. Our destiny, who this preacher reminds us of, rivets us into our current responsibility. You're holy brothers and sisters. You have a heavenly calling. But here's the problem. It's super hard to be on mission when you're going through a hard time. Do you know anybody in your life right now who's going through a hard time. I went to the Philippines to unplug 
And a week in, one of my eyes got infected. We went snorkeling, and I don't know how it happened, but literally my right eye, I woke up and it was sealed shut. I had a really hard time until I saw a doctor who did a little surgery, and I fainted. I had a really hard time being excited about life when one of my eyes didn't work. Do you know somebody going through a hard time? Because it's hard to remember who you are and to be on mission. And sometimes you want to throw in the towel. Our culture has a script, and you know it. Finish it for me if you do. When the going gets tough, the tough get I want to make sure you all know this script, because I only heard some of you. Hey, when the going gets tough, the tough get... Okay, that is not our script. Holy brothers and sisters, that is not our script. People that I know, when the going gets tough, they do not want to get going. They want to throw in the towel. They want to quit. And if you look around Christian America, most people who said they were following Jesus have walked away from the church. I can't believe, holy brothers and sisters, that you're even here today. Because when Daryl and I were going to plant the church, we were told that people aren't coming to church anymore. People have drifted, they have given up, and that's why this preacher, even though back then, is saying this to us today, don't get going. When the going gets tough, here's what we're going to say. Consider Jesus. These are super important words. Consider Jesus. Jesus. Consider is this. It's an intensity of your attention. It's a furious obsession. Remember when people were really getting scared like a lot of us do? Jesus said the same word. He goes, hey, hey stop getting so worried. Because two things catch your attention. Your worry and wonder. Stop getting so worried. Consider, there's the word, lilies. When you're freaking out because your eye won't open and you're wondering when you wake up one morning like I did, I could not see. I'm like, am I going blind? Jesus is like, time out. It's going to get tough. But I want you to consider the lilies. Look at these flowers. They're not freaking out. They're blooming with color because I am the one who plans everything. Consider Jesus. Now, I'll say to some of us that are Christians, the title for today is going to be Reconsider Jesus, because you're sitting there going, I already follow Jesus. Like, please, don't question my intelligence, Howard. I've, I've, I've gone through the book of Hebrews. I'm challenging those of us that think that we're always staring at Jesus and never freaking out. We're always in wonder. I'm saying, can we today reconsider Jesus? Wonder and worry are the same thing psychologically. They're called cognitive expanders. You walk outside and see a gorgeous lily, you're going to go, wow. What you look at is going to expand. When you start to worry, because things are hard, like my eye, everything expands to that worry. Reconsider Jesus. Let's put the anchor back up. By the way, I love how y'all were singing that song about the anchor. You know, the anchor has three parts. If you're one of the kids listening in today, I'd love it if after the sermon today, after the service, come back up to me and see if you can recite to me what the three parts of an anchor are, because I didn't even know this. First part of an anchor is called the fluke. You drop an anchor, it's got to dig into the bottom of the seabed. The second part is on top, we call it the stock. 
you can't just drop an anchor. It needs a top part that'll orient it so that when it hits, the fluke will grab. Thirdly, on an anchor, you need what's called the shank. The shank levels it out. And that's exactly what we're going to see in the next six verses as we follow along. The fluke is going to be this. Reconsider Jesus because he sent to you as a bridge. If you believe this and you walk out of here today, something will dig into Jesus Christ and his story and you will get, you'll get shaken this week. But if you can see him as a bridge. Secondly, the stock, that top, is you got to realize Jesus surpasses Moses. Now, a lot of you are like, of course he's better than Moses. The original reader would have been freaked out at that because Moses, as we'll see, was pretty important to them. But if you don't get oriented correctly that Jesus surpasses everyone and everything, that's important. And lastly, that shank, what's it got to do with you? You're going to be labeled, holy brothers and sisters, the very house of the living God. Oh my. If you came in here thinking that you weren't worth much, you're going to walk out of here realizing that your identity is way more amazing than you thought. So let's jump in. Number one, reconsider Jesus because he's sent as the bridge. Verse one gives these two things to help us focus in on Jesus. Jesus is called the apostle, and he's called the high priest of our confession. But it starts again with this command, consider Jesus. It's a furious obsession to focus with intense attention. When we were in Manila, this was the traffic. Maybe you've heard it, but it was crazy. I watched our drivers. You know when you learned driving years ago, they said, make sure you put your hands always at what? 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, which by the way, it's now changed. Now it's 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock because of airbags. In Manila, I never saw somebody driving like I drive. One, one hand on the steering wheel or my knee while I'm sipping coffee. Every driver, because of this intensity of attention, you could not drive in Manila unless you were 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock or you were going to get into an accident. This is the command of our hearts. Consider Jesus as two things. He's the apostle and he's the high priest. What, is the, what do these mean? An apostle means God sent Jesus to sinners. An apostle represents God to man. Jesus came with a mission to seek and save the lost and to heal all that was ruined. But then he's called the high priest. Consider this. Get your hands on the steering wheel of who Jesus is being presented as because the high priest, it's such a cool thing. That means that man in our sin the priest represents man to a holy God. And think of a bridge. A bridge takes two things that are divided and brings them together. The unique word that was used by the preacher was pontifex. It was already used of Augustus Caesar. You see, Caesar in Rome thought that they were the highest high priest who connected all the gods to the world. And Jesus comes, or the, the preacher comes along and says, Jesus is the connector between sinful man and a holy God, and he is sent to you. Pay attention to your priest. Now, here's what's important here. There's a bit of a warning cooked in. Don't miss it. 
the original readers who were thinking about, or listeners, leaving Christianity because it got rough, they are being told that if you reject Jesus, you are rejecting the only bridge back to God. Very important to consider this Jesus. So, here you have this beautiful picture of Jesus. And he now in verse 2, look at what he's labeled. He's faithful. What a cool Christian word. It means fully reliable, who was faithful to him, that's God, who appointed him. So the listener's like, okay, this is great. I was kind of drifting in my attention span. I'm now being told I'm holy. That's cool. I have a calling. That's good. And Jesus is the apostle and high priest, and he's fully reliable. And notice what the preacher does now to make sure that they're not going to drift away, like we often can do in a sermon. Verse 2, the preacher says, just as Moses was, a faithful or reliable, was faithful or reliable in all of God's house. Now, the mention of Moses to a Jewish Christian, you are bringing up the most important person in history. It would infuse their imagination with everything amazing. Moses was the only person in the Old Testament, by the way, that had the same two roles that Jesus just had. He was an apostle. Remember, he was sent 430 years. About one and a half million Jews were stuck in Egypt for 430 years. This man is sent, let my people go. And after these plagues, one and a half million people are set free. By mentioning Moses, think of the excitement that would have come across these hearers. He was our apostle. Moses also, a lot of us don't remember, was a priest. Do you know that? Priests represent man to God. He was leading these people, not just out of bondage, but into a house of worship, concentrating again on God. In Psalm 99.6, Moses is called a priest. Did you know that? Did you know in Exodus chapter 2, he is from the tribe of Levi? Okay, so remember that anchor needs to get the fluke grabbing into the surface? This preacher starts off and the fluke now is set, but now he's got to make sure that we're oriented correctly because anchors don't stay unless that stock, that top, orients them. Look at number two. Reconsider Jesus. Why? Because his status now that we've mentioned Moses, surpasses Moses. Really? Look at verse 3. Jesus has been counted worthy of how much more glory than Moses? More glory than Moses? When you teach, and some of you are teachers, comparisons for your student get them to really focus. When you compare one thing with another, like Jesus and Moses, you're going to elevate the subject. Now, here's what's really important. I said it this way. An overestimation of a good man like Moses can actually lead to an underestimation of a great man, Jesus Christ. Moses was not on their Mount Rushmore, if you will. He was their Mount Rushmore. I got this dorky little picture right here of like, 
if our Mount Rushmore even saw Moses, they would be covering their eyes. Remember Moses, like, is with God? He's glowing. Moses was everything to the Jewish people that were drifting from God, and the preacher was calling them back. Philo, who was the Jewish writer and philosopher of the time, said Moses was considered superior to angels for the Jewish people. He was the most powerful and popular person in the Old Testament because he set those people free. And he didn't just set them free. He brings them out and he teaches them the 10 ways to live. How amazing that these slaves were given 10 ways to live, the 10 commands in this new house. And remember what it says, you were brought out of a house of slavery, out of a house of slavery, now into a new house with the living God. So this pastor's doing a pretty good job. He's doing what Daryl and I fight for every week, keeping your attention. Are you, following the, are you following where things are going? And then he gets logical. Because sometimes some of you listen a bit more when there's a logical progression. And those of you that are the logical types, I want you to listen in because it's pretty cool. He goes in verse 3, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. He's like, I don't want to lose you with how cool Jesus is and how great you thought Moses was, but I'm going to use a bit of a logical challenge with you. Don't you know that if an architect imagines a blueprint, and think about Jonathan Flippin. He's getting a business going with construction. You come to Jonathan, you go, Jonathan, can you build for me a house? He spends a long time making the blueprints, and he builds the house, The argument is, isn't the builder a bit more important than the house? Like, if the builder doesn't come up with the plan, you don't have the house. Philo, again, a philosopher and historian of the time, had a truism that everyone knows knew. And a lot of people think that this preacher does what Daryl and I do. We kind of find kind of cool, pithy statements to keep attention. Philo's truism back then was this. That which has made is superior to the thing made. Interesting. Jesus builds this house, and Moses was simply one of the building materials. He'll go on to say this. Moses was a servant in the house. Christ was the son over the house. Nouns, prepositions. It's a little different to be a servant and a son. They're very different things. It's very different to be someone who's in a house and someone who is over a house. Reconsider Jesus. Verse 5. Moses was faithful. That means he was reliable in all of God's house as a what? As a great servant. To testify to the things that were being spoken later. Moses was very faithful. Did you know that he'll be described in the Old Testament 22 times as a reliable guy? He was reliable. But the fascinating story that focused on Moses' faithfulness was kind of a difficult one. See, they were in the wilderness, and Moses' sister, and those of us that have family, sometimes our sisters and brothers can be the hardest, 
Moses' sister Miriam and Aaron were complaining about Moses as a leader. And boy, this got God a little concerned. And he uses the word servant and the word faithful in this story. Let me retell it to you in Numbers 12.6. After the Miriam and Aaron are complaining, God shows up, it says, in the house, in the tent, and it starts to glow. And these words come forward. Imagine being there. Hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles. He beholds the form of the Lord. I wouldn't have been Miriam and Aaron on that day being reminded that someone in the house was a servant who was faithful. But what did Moses do? Verse 5. Moses testified to things that were spoken later. See, Moses, if you read all those great stories, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's just got great stuff about Moses. He was always working as a sign pointing to the coming sun. Disney World, a lot of you go there. If you just freak out about how awesome the sign is, you do need to kind of go in because the sign is telling you that there's this great magic theme park. Moses was really acting in this way. The sign about the sun is not more important than the arrival of the sun himself. And then it says in verse 6, but Christ, the preacher's getting the attention again, but listen in, Christ is the one who's reliable over God's house as a son. It is fun to compare how Moses was a bit of a, a sign or someone who spoke about the coming Jesus, and then Jesus. Let me give you five in rapid fire. Number one, Moses' life was threatened as a baby. Do you remember? Jesus' life was threatened as a baby. In fact, Jesus had to leave and go to Egypt. That's interesting. Because number two, Moses leads the people out of Egypt and they're starving and he prays for bread from heaven. Jesus shows up. He is the bread from heaven. Number three, Moses comes out of Egypt. Jesus, as a baby, went to Egypt, but there was a, a time when he too would come out of Egypt. Wow, Moses and Jesus, they are quite similar. But number four, Moses went up on a mountain, spoke to God face to face, and when he came back down, he was glowing. Jesus, on the mountain, had the Father say, this is my son. Those of you that are learners of Jesus, then what did he say? Listen to him. See, Jesus is very different than Moses because number five, even though Moses had 1.5 million slaves walk out free and it was the largest rescue mission in history, Jesus Christ is still saving sinners. I'm looking at holy brothers and sisters that have been set free from the shackles of sin. When I went to the Philippines, I saw Christians. On the globe right now, at least a billion claim to follow Jesus, if not more. But will we drift? Not if we reconsider Jesus as surpassing the status of 
The pastor slides in this little by the way. You ever notice that Daryl and I do that all the time? We're preaching along and we're like, by the way, and you're like, stay on point. Preachers do these things. They do these things because there's so much to remind you of. Look at verse four. Every house is built by somebody, but the builder of all things is God. Now, this is fascinating because what he's basically saying is, Jesus built the house. Jesus is God. Don't miss that Jesus is God. I know there are cults that will knock on your door, and they'll want to talk to you about religious stuff, but you got to look them in the eye and say, do you believe Jesus is worthy of worship as God? Because the builder of all things is God. Jesus is the builder of the house. All cults dishonor God. They have drifted from the story. So, point one, the fluke hits the ground. Reconsider Jesus. He's the apostle. He's the bridge. Reconsider Jesus. We've got it figured out that he's even better than the most important man in all history. And lastly, reconsider Jesus because you, holy brothers and sisters, are his house. You're his house. And he throws in a little if, just to keep you on the edge of your seat. This is a massive metaphor. To be called a house might feel weird to you, but that's what metaphors do. Metaphors take something you know about, like yourself, and they take something totally weird like a house and they make you pay attention and reconsider reality and you are being called God's house. It's a massive metaphor. My favorite house is this one. In Lord of the Rings, it's Rivendell. If you've never read about Rivendell, oh, read about Rivendell. It's the home we dream of. As much as I enjoyed the Philippines, I couldn't wait to get home. Honestly, I couldn't wait to get back to my church home. Because in a home, as Sandra was trying to articulate about our little home groups, three things happen. You're beloved there. You're known. You belong there. And there's breathing room to be yourself. Rivendell was this quintessential place of beauty. We all try to do this to our homes. When you showed up at Rivendell, you experienced what you've already experienced today. Violins would be playing. Keyboards would be going. Music and song would be there in the distance, welcoming you in. See, the world is full of danger and monsters, and it's unsafe. But the light is left on. In every corner of Rivendell, like a good home, there is room for welcome. The atmosphere is welcoming, especially if you're weary. Have you noticed, those of you that are part of our church family, we start every worship service saying, to all of those who are weary. That's purposeful. We know you're not walking in here, usually with a full tank, or focused on Jesus Christ. A home has a fire glowing. There is warmth. There is belonging. There is laughter. But people are pretty different. And when I look at all of you, holy brothers and sisters, I see different generations. I see different cultures. I see different gifts. 
And when the dwarves and the elves and the men are all hanging out and the hobbits of all people, it's when we're different and together that you have a great home. I wonder, is Aspen Grove turning into an alluring abode? We're called a home. We're called a house. Is this the place where our friends and neighbors will show up and experience a little bit more elbow room? They'll be noticed. They'll be loved as they are. They'll have a place to sing, a place to laugh, a place to cry, maybe a place just to take a nap, a place to heal. Holy brothers and sisters, you are his house. But here's where, please listen. If, there is an if to this sermon. Let me read it for you. If, verse 6, indeed you hold fast confidence and boasting in hope. What does this mean? Holding fast. The spirit of our age says, live your own life, jump around. Don't hold fast. Don't stay in one place. In fact, a study just came out in November 2023 that talks about how people are jumping around church to church. Even people that might re-engage, they don't stay. But here's what I find fascinating about holding fast. You notice that Super Bowl commercial? That apartments.com commercial? It had this phrase at the funny end of these aliens coming. It's a place to find a place. That was their tagline. See, we're God's house. If we are a place, people can find a place in Christ. Not like an apartment dwellers that just, and by the way, it's not wrong to live in an apartment. But if your goal is to jump around church to church because you don't want to stay in a place you're never going to experience being God's house. This study that came out said that 79% of people that are jumping around, they're called switchers, they will stay at a church if they experience a warm welcome. It's one of the reasons I'm excited about Aspen Grove. I think that you are a welcoming church. I think that we are a welcoming church. So let's bring this all to an end because every sermon got to wrap up. We've talked about this anchor that's got to drop in with these flukes. We've talked about an orienting Jesus Christ who surpasses Moses. We've talked about you all being labeled a house, a home. If you hold fast your confidence and your boasting in hope. Let's jump to kind of the end of his sermon in Hebrews 10, 19. Look at this. It says this. We have confidence by the blood of Jesus to take the way that leads into the house, the sanctuary. What's tempting right now is to walk out here and go, I'm going to dig into Jesus. I'm going to keep considering Jesus. That's fine and well. But I like the fact that these little blades are called flukes. You know, a fluke is like an accident. A fluke is like, I didn't expect that to happen. A fluke is worthless unless it digs into something outside of it. We have confidence, not in ourselves, not in our ability to hold on. We have confidence in the hope of what? Jesus Christ has died and shed his blood 
and he has risen again. And if we're a church that's looking at this, at Jesus Christ, then we're going to do okay. I end with a short story on hope. My favorite movie about hope is The Shawshank Redemption. It's funny to me because the shank, that, that thing that connects the, the, uh, the anchor, it's just funny that that's the term that Stephen King gave this little short story. But the short story, remember, if you don't know it or if you remember the story, goes like this. There was a guy falsely convicted as a banker of killing his wife. He was put into the Shawshank prison with no hope because he was there basically to serve two life terms. But when he got there, he wouldn't stop hoping. He meets this guy named Red who had lost all hope, and he goes, don't stop hoping. And he gets a Bible... And in the Bible, the book of Exodus, which is the Moses story of the great release, he gets this little rock hammer, and for 20 years, he goes and he digs a tunnel because he hopes to be free. And the movie's got a cool ending because he does. Andy goes free. But my favorite part I end with is this. He sends a letter to his friend, Red who had gotten out of prison. And he said, Red, hope is good. And he invites Red to come to the beach and meet him. And Red shows up in the last part, uh, the last uh, line in the, in the movie is Red finally says, I hope. We as a church, especially a brand new church, everybody I'm looking at, holy brothers and sisters, in the next month, and the next year, could float on out of here. You could be a switcher. You could just say, it's going hard. I can't do it anymore. But I call you as a preacher of the gospel. Put the flukes not into your faith or your resolve. Put your heart into a reconsideration of the beauty and hope of Jesus Christ. Because if we do, we will be a home that has the door of Jesus ajar, waving the weary in, saying, come in, sing with us, hope with us. And it starts when we reconsider Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for this ancient sermon. There's only 66 books that we have, and one of them is a sermon. I'm thankful that even though it's old, it connects with the way that our hearts have a hard time focusing. Lord, would you help us to own and believe that we are, we are your house. We are way better than Rivendell. But help us to hope in your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.